Independence Day for Algeria and a bountiful Armenian Constitution Day. While we're at it, July 5th is also Venezuelan Independence Day. Every single day, there's something happening that reminds me of the diversity of the planet I share with you and billions of other people. Charlottesville Community Engagement exists to draw your attention to some of the details of what's happening around 38 North, 78.4767 West. I'm Sean Tubbs. On today's program, Michael C. Rogers has withdrawn from consideration as Charlottesville's next city manager. Two years after announcing route changes that were never made, Charlottesville Area Transit launches a strategic plan process complete with survey. And Albemarle County supervisors are briefed on the potential of adding more development standards and rules to the siting of utility-scale solar projects. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes believes that bicycles can be a means to social change, addressing issues of equity, access, and inclusion. They provide free bikes to adults who need one and have a special program that provides free bikes to children. Want to learn more or support their work? Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more. The city of Charlottesville will soon have a new city manager after a year and a half of service from an employee of a government services firm. Interim city manager Michael C. Rogers has announced to city staff that he will withdraw from consideration to be hired as the permanent top official. In a statement, Rogers said that while he would have loved to have continued working with council and to serve the residents of Charlottesville, personal priorities required him to return to the District of Columbia full-time. Rogers is an employee of the Robert Bob Group, a D.C.-based firm that provides services to localities across the country. The statement points out that Robert Bob, the company's main principal, has assisted Rogers in his time as interim city manager. Council has met several times to interview candidates for the position. At a campaign forum on May 10th, Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook said he had hoped the permanent hire would be in place by July 1st. Today, he's told me that Council hopes to make an announcement sometime next week. You can read more of that story from May to get the sense of Snook and Councillor Michael Payne about what kind of person they would like to see in the role. A major key to a future in which more people live here will be getting more people on area buses. There are no shortage of plans currently underway or from the recent past that aspire to do just that. Over two years ago, CAT had hired Kimley Horn and the Nelson Nygaard Group to create a series of route changes that were never made. Council was briefed on those changes in late May of 2021, as I wrote about at the time. Unfortunately, the link to the presentation from that meeting, as well as references to that work, are no longer on the CAT website. Soon after that, the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission began a regional transit vision plan funded by Albemarle County and Charlottesville that recommended a theoretical expansion of the entire transit system. That work culminated in a governance study that is currently underway that could lead to formation of a regional transportation authority to help pay for more service. CAT is also responsible for providing microtransit service in Albemarle County for a one-year pilot that does not yet have a start date. 
With all that as background, this week, CAT begins the public engagement phase for the development of a transit strategic plan. Here's a section from the website for that plan. Transit strategic plans are required for transit agencies operating in metropolitan areas of Virginia to ensure that transit service are planned to better meet their community's mobility needs. This presents CAT with an opportunity to evaluate and update our services and network to respond to changes in our community. Now, CAT wants your feedback, and there's a survey that runs through July 31st. There are also two pop-up events. To learn more, with one happening Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon at the Charlottesville City Market, and one on Wednesday at the Downtown Transit Station from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, one Patreon supporter wants you to know that Charlottesville now has an e-bike lending library. E-bikes are a great way to get around the community, but there are many brands and styles to choose from. Because many e-bikes are sold online, it can be a challenge to try an e-bike before buying one. The Charlottesville e-bike lending library is a free, not-for-profit service working to expand access to e-bikes in the area. They have a small collection of e-bikes that are lent out to community members for up to a week for free. You can experience your daily commute, go grocery shopping, even bike your kids to school, and decide whether e-bikes are right for you. Check out their service at www.ebikelibrarycville.org. One more big segment to go today. So far, there are four approved utility-scale solar projects in Albemarle County, ranging from the one-megawatt facility that's just coming online at the Ivy Landfill to the 138-megawatt Woodridge Solar Project approved by supervisors earlier this year. There are some who are concerned that more stringent rules need to be in place to preserve land for agricultural and other purposes. Here's Nancy Koenig speaking before a June 7th work session that the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors held on possible new rules and development standards. As a good steward, I want to keep good air and water quality and to use the land and other God-given resources so that they will be forever beneficial to us and um, and our community. In making their decisions, the six members of the Albemarle Board of Supervisors have to balance a variety of priorities. For decades, the county's comprehensive plan has put a priority on keeping the rural area reserved for rural uses and limiting industrial scale uses. Supervisors have also adopted a climate action plan to guide implementation of a directive to have county operations be fossil-free by 2050. They were reminded of this by Valerie Long, an attorney with the firm Williams Mullen, who helped secure approval of the Woodridge Project for Hexagon Energy. Uh, Your climate action plan is very specific about expressly supporting utility-scale solar facilities and specifically working with the developers of renewable energy facilities to develop policies. Uh, We wanna make sure that whatever policies are developed are workable, are reasonable, and can actually further the county's goals in support of utility scale solar. 
To help guide the balance, Albemarle County has hired the Berkeley Group to review the county's existing solar policies at a time when there's large demand for more acreage for utility generation. Here is Michael Zayner, the Director of Planning and Community Development with the Berkeley Group. When we're talking about utility-scale solar, we're principally talking about projects that are one megawatts and greater. A good rule of thumb is that generally 10 acres, 7 to 10 acres per megawatt in terms of a site development standard. The election production side of utility-scale solar projects involve solar panels, racks, inverters, substations, switchyards, generator lead lines, and battery storage. You also need fences, roads, and construction staging areas. Solar is the fastest growing energy source in the world, in part because of the decrease in cost and because much of private and public enterprise are seeking to hit goals to reduce the amount of power that comes from fossil fuels. Capacity from solar has grown from 2 gigawatts in 2010 to approximately 130 gigawatts installed mid-2020. Installed solar capacity increased from 17 megawatts in 2014 in Virginia to 3,845 in 2022. Legislation that passed the Virginia General Assembly requires Dominion Energy and American Electric Power to produce all of their power from renewable sources by the middle of the century. Zayner said that will require 16,100 megawatts to come from either solar or offshore wind national interest, state policies, they manifest themselves locally. Zayner said each installation should be seen as a transformation in land use to an industrial use. Solar facilities are an intensive land use. They're a unique land use. Uh, they They have specific impacts. Uh, they are often cited on ag timber, forested lands, uh, lands where the value of the property uh, allows for this level of development. Uh, and we believe they require unique standards because of the conditions that they bring. Zayner said solar sites don't compete with residential development. They can reduce the ability for wildlife to move around, can change the topography, affect soil conditions, and remove forests. He said they can affect the rural character of a community by changing viewsheds. Solar projects also have a finite lifespan, and counties should require decommissioning plans to describe how the panels will be disposed of or recycled. There is presence of toxic materials um, in panels. Uh, We do suggest that there be management of damaged panels, end of life of materials, uh, that there be practices for storage of damaged panels, removal of damaged panels. Localities typically receive higher real estate property taxes on land under solar panels, and there is also the option of revenue sharing through something called a siting agreement. Albemarle County currently allows solar fields through a special use permit. Zayner said the Berkeley Group recommends more clearly defining the regulations to provide more clarity and consistency for all projects. That includes minimum and maximum sizes, distances from developed areas, distances from other installations, maximum heights for panels, as well as minimum heights. If the lowest edge of the panel is too high, it contributes to stormwater runoff issues and erosion issues. Zayner said some localities are also setting maximum total coverage for their entire geographic jurisdiction. At the end of Zayner's presentation, it came time for the supervisors to respond to what they'd heard. One supervisor wanted to hear from the industry who were working to meet the growing demand for renewable energy. 
Here is Samuel Miller District Supervisor Jim Andrews. Our local uh, renewable energy suppliers should be part of this conversation um, and, and help us uh, to understand what works and what doesn't. So ultimately, it's really the energy that's coming off of these that matters, and, and we need to uh, sort of focus on what we're trying to get. Andrews also said that he would not want to establish rules establishing minimum distances between separate installations. I don't know why there would be necessarily up front a limit to limit to the percentage of rural land devoted uh, or individual project size. But uh, obviously, if we're doing a special use permit and we expect certain things to happen, we may want to monitor this as we go. Andrews supported buffers and establishing development standards. He also supported using the ongoing comprehensive plan process to establish places where utility-scale solar might be discouraged or not permitted due to productive soil, an exercise that he said would take a lot of mapping. Other supervisors wanted to know more about the potential for toxins, given that the county has not moved forward on using artificial turf on athletic fields out of a concern about the presence of forever chemicals known as PFAS. Supervisor Donna Price said she wanted to better know where existing high-power transmission lines are in the county to understand where siting of utility-scale solar projects might work best. Because I do believe having these industrial-scale projects within close proximity is both economically the most viable and also important to avoid further clearing of land for the easement right away to connect uh, a site to a high power line. Price also wants to know where the best soil in Albemarle is as well. I totally agree that we should not be even considering taking prime agricultural land and converting that into industrial solar installations. Price said she supported the Woodridge Solar Project because of the buffers involved and the preservation of undeveloped land. But she also supported it because it would generate enough to power half of the county's homes. We as a county have an obligation to be producers, not just users of power or energy. Um, that it, that's only fair. We use power, we use energy, we need to be able to generate some of it. But I don't want Albemarle County to be the equivalent of the landfill site where people from all over the rest of the country are relying upon using our land for electricity for them. Price said she would support at least one more site in Albemarle County as large as Woodridge Solar, but not many more. I'm much more interested in putting on tops of buildings and places like that to avoid the deterioration of our rural area. However, there is high demand now for more land for more solar. Nancy Koenig of Scottsville told the board that she has recently learned of a commercial solar farm that may soon be built on 500 acres near her sheep farm. Solar farming is an inefficient use of prime farmland. Um, we don't want to degrade our ability to produce our own food in our own country. Koenig argued the industrial use will make it likely that those 500 acres will never be able to be farmed again. She's also concerned that runoff from the panels will lead to erosion. In her comments, Long encouraged the board to get feedback from solar providers, as she said the memo from Berkeley needed some balance if the goal is to support renewable energy. 
we're very concerned that many of the concepts that are included in the memorandum run counter to that to those goals are going to be too inflexible. While no further meeting on utility-scale solar regulations is currently scheduled, the topic is certain to come back in the near future. But that's the end of episode number 553. And today's edition was going to go out tomorrow, but then I moved it up as soon as I saw the information about Michael C. Rogers withdrawing from consideration as Charlottesville city manager. That's the kind of thing people should know sooner rather than later. And it was enough to lead me to drop everything to get something out. That's the kind of organization I'm trying to build here at Town Crier Productions. And with financial support from about a quarter of the audience, the future is pretty bright. Your support goes to pay me directly and to help me get the pieces in place that I need to get something out every single day. A good way to do that is through Substack. Every paid subscription helps me stay afloat. Ting matches every initial payment, which provides me with even more confidence I can be there for you when I think you need to know something. Now, the end of the program. Goodbye. Goodbye.